0: It's Veterans Day, and the sky is gray. A little bit of a Tom Russell song. It is Veterans Day. Uh, I didn't know if I had standing to comment on Veterans Day. Not being a veteran myself, and in fact, sorry for the false advertising, but I even uh, put out a trailer and prepared to release a different podcast. But I've been thinking about... um, about veterans lately. And uh, I felt like I wanted to say something about my relationship to the many veterans that I've known and um, also my relationship to the art about the difficulties of readjusting to civilian life, which uh, I don't know if that represents the bulk of... The depiction of veterans in American art or not. It's uh, what I've drawn my attention toward, and uh, I guess because it has resonated so deeply with my experiences in the world. I'm sure there's a whole canon of patriotic songs that I don't really know, but Songs like John Prine's great Sam Stone. His friend, Swamp Dog, by the way, has a the best version of it. If you want to listen to it. Johnny Cash's The Battle of Ira Hayes. Those are the kind of uh, folk songs that formed my uh, understanding of the experience of veterans and the experience of, uh, of people I was coming to know. When I was a young person, I started working with a lot of Vietnam veterans, and, you know, when you're 18 years old and you're working with a guy who's 35, who's been back from a war that was 15 years ago, you don't... You don't really recognize uh, that that was a short time ago for that person. But it was. And uh, when we're talking about uh, the guys I knew when I was young who were in Vietnam, they were pretty much all drafted with a couple of exceptions. A couple of them went to the Navy. A guy I knew really well and really cared about, and he didn't make it much past 50, but he was an important person to me in my life. He was from a logging town around here up in the mountains, and he said that he didn't know anything about Vietnam except for that it was in the jungle, and he figured he'd be safe if he joined the Navy. I have a former student who told me she joined the Marines and she said "Um, I didn't know there was any difference I just thought it was the military and I walked into the first office I came to and it was the Marines. She was fairly enthusiastic about her experience frankly which I thought was interesting. I guess it all highlights why it's quote unquote necessary to have children fighting our wars. You know, if they knew very much about the situation, they may have avoided it. Anyway, I went through a period of my life where I had a lot of contact with people who had been in the military, despite not having family members who had done so. There's a story about my maternal grandfather getting arrested for trying to pass as his brother after he failed the physical And I assume that my granddad was like most of his friends on a farm deferment. But anyway, most of the people I met in the military or had been in the military when I was young were people I worked with on construction sites or on farm jobs or working in a warehouse or driving a truck. I remember so many of those people And particularly, I would say that for almost all of them, all of these men I worked with when I was young who were Vietnam veterans, I would come to a point in my relationship with them where they would, without really intending to, by some trigger, tell me the horrible secret that they packed around with them even when they seemed more or less positive about their experiences before that. It's a point in a relationship with a veteran. I don't know if it's universal, but it's a point that I've reached with these people. I guess that's the point with trauma. You don't get to a point where it's just over. to not even think about it as trauma. There's just a... There's a... order and a pattern to military life that is uh, somewhat antithetical to ordinary uh, civilian life. And it's probably difficult to fit back in. One of the most uh, hard-for-me-to-watch movies ever made is Paul Newman's great cool hand, Luke. On a stone-cold bluff, Luke wins a pot in a poker game with nothing and exclaims, Sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. He wins the admiration of the other prisoners, and Dragline, who is positioning himself to be his main adversary, becomes his friend. Starts calling him Cool Hand Luke. I don't know, the film is about a lot of different things, but to my mind it's mostly about a guy who embodies all of the perfect virtues and values of... um, of a wartime person, a war hero who can't function in civilian life. Someone who like the nearly 10% of American war veterans who end up in prison. To say nothing about the huge number of them who are homeless. The cool hand becomes more than just the title of the film. I guess the film asks us to run that the other way. and Also consider that sometimes a real cool hand can be nothing. And Luke is definitely a cool hand in a war situation. He's a war hero. He saves his outfit. And yet... We don't have a place for him back in civilian life. That sort of chiasmic structure or reversal uh, is more than just a clever technique. Often we're asked to understand war through familiar similes. For instance, we have Bible verses where swords are beat into plowshares, um, like in Isaiah, or alternately, where plowshares are beat into swords. Um, And we have that reversal. That's from the book of Joel. And uh, depending on the situation, we ask for this sort of movement between agricultural and military that is meant to form a familiar frame of reference for people in uh, understanding um, how people are supposed to move between military and civilian life. Some of the art that interests me seeks to challenge that and, and show us the strangeness, the the anti human nature of war. You know, it's interesting that they call like, you know, machine guns and bombs and stuff anti personnel weapons, as opposed to like a weapon that you could, you know, shoot food with. They literally mean anti-human. They erase the humans. Anyway, these um, similes often seek to make war strange and familiar at the same time. For instance, in the 11th book of the Iliad, Homer writes or says, who writes them down, writes, <laughs> And now as a band of reapers mows swaths of wheat or barley upon a rich man's land, and the sheaves fall thick before them, even so did the Trojans and Achaeans fall upon one another. And he often uses those agricultural similes, Homeric similes they're called, um, in order to familiarize a strange Experience, But he follows that with an interesting line. They were in no mood, mood for yielding, but fought like wolves. And there's something about that that speaks to the inhumanity of war. And you can try to understand it in terms of what's familiar to you, but if you um, are not familiar with it, you cannot know it. Ever ready to make a pun on his own name, Winslow Homer has a great painting from 1865. He started and completed it right as the war ended. And it's called A Veteran in Another Field. And it reverses those lines from the 11th Book of the Iliad um, and it shows a former warrior now reaping actual wheat. It's really a beautiful image. It has three horizontal segments. Um, The foreground has some wheat on the ground. The middle of the painting has some standing wheat. And the top of the painting has some blue sky. And uh, in the right foreground of the painting, there's a jacket that the reaper, who's holding a scythe, swinging it. It's a great painting. has a great technique where Homer shows these These um, horizontal lines that move like downward with the scythe and they show the different swaths it has taken. Um, And it asks us to think about the passage of time. Combined with the title, it asks us to think about this man and the field he was in before and that image of Homer of moving through um, other soldiers like a reaper mowing down wheat The jacket in the foreground is interesting to me because it suggests that, like, you could just put on a different jacket, a different uniform, and be in a different experience and be a different person. He could put his military uniform back on and go back, and now he's in this beautiful, bucolic setting... The reaper standing in the dead center of the painting is the only real vertical image except for the stalks of wheat. And we can see the close stalks are vertical, while the ones he's already mowed are laying on the ground. Which stand and which fall seems to be arbitrary on any particular pass of the scythe. There's no reason to who lives in a war, particularly a war like the Civil War that's just sort of indiscriminately facing off against each other to see how many, how great a sacrifice you're willing to make. Homer reminds us that the ongoing human toll of the war is significant, no matter how we feel about the war itself. We're also reminded in the painting, of course, that. You know, et in Arcadia Ego, you know, that the subject of the painting, the Reaper, is already in the other world. But uh again that the that the soldier left something of himself in the in the former world. I don't know how modern warfare factors into that though, because uh, you know, you can't turn anti personnel weapons into farm equipment. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can turn a tank into a tractor or something. I published a little cycle of poems a few years ago in the cafe review about some veterans that I that I knew that I'd worked with. One of them was my friend from the mountains when I came to that moment in my relationship with him where he told me the thing, um, we were talking about his tattoos. He had these sailor girl tattoos on his forearms. They're just kind of outlined. You know, I like this guy I identified with him. He came from the same part of Oklahoma as some of my people do. He was a tall, anvil nosed Choctaw guy. He still, at, you know, 40-something, looked like he hadn't ever shaved. So when he was a 17-year-old baby-faced kid, he started getting these tattoos on his forearms to look like a man, I guess. He would clench his fists and make them dance around. He was telling the story about why they were just outlined and uh he was a radio operator he was on the radio while he um heard over the radio the last seconds of his friends the tattooist's life my poem concludes the tattoos of course came home incomplete but he could make them dance not to analyze my own poems too much or advertise for them but he uh you know obviously it was more than the tattoos that came home incomplete i guess one of the other poems in that cycle was uh, about a student who left school to join the marines he'd gotten a jarhead tattoo on his on his left arm which he came home without let's just say and uh Anyway, it was a strange experience for me going from, you know, I was working with these guys who were older and had more experience. They were often my boss or my supervisor was helping or, you know, somehow... Somehow they were the more experienced and older people. And then it seemed like I went through a lot of years where I didn't have contact with people who had served in the military until I became a college professor and uh, even then it took a while but eventually veterans started filtering into my life and i started to know a lot of them and i started to sort of need to have an opinion on their experience in the military as somebody charged with guiding them and directing them through their studies in my current situation i often have to have uh, direct involvement in this process. I'm I'm sometimes charged with helping people try to re-enter civilian life. I fairly regularly have to write to the VA and explain why someone ought to be allowed to pursue an English major. This last semester I had a young lady who was trying to finish her creative writing minor, And only needed like one class, and I had to argue to the VA to allow her to do that and explain that that was not some useless pursuit. I feel like they get a new person over there every once in a while, and then I have to sort of re-educate that new person. They're never a name to me. They're just, you know, Office of Veterans Affairs. I've had other students who won't take their benefits, because, as they say, I'm never going to ask those people for anything. So I don't know. Most of my experience is that people are not wholly enthusiastic about their participation in our, in our military. A few years ago, I had the unique situation of having a Korean War veteran in class finishing a degree, a Vietnam veteran um, going through a program we have for uh, retired people and three Gulf War veterans um, finishing their degrees in my class on Veterans Day. And I witnessed and and I guess to a certain extent moderated um, but tried to stay out of the way of a conversation that they all had about their military service. And I want to say that they all had uh, very passionate views and very divergent views and they ranged from positive to wholly negative negative. and I guess at the end of the day um, what I learned from that fight I mean I had to dismiss the rest of the class and stay to facilitate that situation which I was happy to do I learned that I really don't have the right to have very much an opinion on what it means to serve in the military but I also recognize that I do have a very strong obligation to care about the people in my life who experienced that and to recognize that it's a, uh, an experience that's beyond my comprehension and understanding and that I needed to navigate around those people with a certain amount of, uh, of grace and to provide them with a certain amount of latitude Um, Not only to go through their own experience, but to um, express it to me in the language that um, was appropriate to them. And uh, many of the younger people said that they don't like it when people say, thank you for your service. So maybe what I'll say at the end of this podcast is, uh, I'm here to listen, and thanks for being you.